0: Uh, I'm going to get back to all of your calls and your D-Lives. and the super chats here in a minute. I have with me Dr. Mark McDonalds, And uh, earlier this week, or maybe last week, we talked about, I believe it was an article he wrote. And um, was it an article, Nick? Yeah, an article that he wrote about um, depression and all that that good stuff. Dr. Mark McDonald's is with me now. He's a clinical psychologist, psychiatrist, and medical legal expert specializing in family therapy. And uh, I wanted to talk to him about that article and a few other things as well. Dr. McDonald, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: Good morning, Jesse. Thanks for having me
0: on. Yes, sir. Um, Exactly what do you do to help families?
1: I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist, which means that I evaluate and treat children and young adults for emotional and mental illness. While I'm doing that, I also work with the parents, so it becomes a family project.
0: Oh, okay. And do you work with the father, mother, and child, or just the mother and child, or the father and child, or
1: children? I welcome all the parents who are available to attend, including the mother and the father, but. For a lot of reasons, as you can imagine, there's only one parent available or willing to come in, which makes my job a lot harder.
0: Yeah. Um, you wrote, according to you, Americans are suffering from delusional psychosis, and, and especially concerning the virus. But before I get to that, what is the primary cause for depression and suicide and thoughts and all that crazy stuff for children? What's the primary cause?
1: Well, children have been suffering from worsening anxiety and depression for a number of years. My belief from my clinical work and also from my my studies and keeping up on research is that the primary reason is disconnection. Disconnection from relationships, from people, from contact with human beings, and a reliance on uh, digital media, social media, gaming, uh, essentially isolating non-human interaction-based activities.
0: The children that you're seeing so far, are most of them coming from two-parent home or one parent?
1: I practice in West Los Angeles, which is a a pretty, um, it is a diverse area in terms of race and and, uh, uh, income, but most of the people that come to see me uh, tend to be in the middle to upper class in terms of uh, uh, socioeconomic groupings. I worked for quite a while though at the county, LA County Department of Mental Health, juvenile justice program before I opened up my private practice and when I went there for the first two or three years I saw a lot of primarily boys in pre and post adjudication settings meaning basically uh kiddie jails and kitty prisons and almost to a fault uh everyone in that system had only one parent or no parents
0: amazing and w- that one parent were mostly mothers
1: it's an interesting question. I always ask this. It wasn't part of uh, anything I had to ask. It wasn't part of my clinical eval. But I did it for myself, just to see uh, what was going on in society. I always ask this question. I ask them, where is your dad? Yeah. And with almost no exceptions, I got one of three answers. My dad is in prison. My dad is in, fill in the blank, Central or South American country, Mexico, Guatemala, Nicaragua, or my dad is dead.
0: Amazing, and so mental illness—is it a spiritual issue or a physical issue?
1: Oh, we could talk about that for a long time. You know, this is a very secularized society, especially in urban areas. West LA is is probably one of the ground zero areas in the country for for secular religion, uh, meaning uh, no church, no synagogue, no nothing. Um, This is not a clinical opinion, this is really my personal opinion just from having worked with people who who were ill for a long time. Um, I think next to the absence of fathers in the home, I think the absence of religion in the community is probably one of the biggest factors in creating mental illness.
0: Have you realized or, or do you realize that the mothers are affecting these children in a mental way by imposing her will upon them, her anger, her, her insecurity upon them, recreating them her image? Well,
1: you know what happens when dads aren't around? Boys in particular, they don't have a model of how to be a man. And mothers can't show their boys how to be men. They can do a lot of wonderful things. And mothers are absolutely essential to raising children. But they can't model the father for the child. So when the mother tries to become the dominant, strong, income-earning, male, masculine role model, uh, in addition to being the nurturing, maternal caretaking model, I don't think it works very well. And I think it creates a lot of insecurities in the boys, and it drives them into being uh, hyper-aggressive, hyper-masculine, masculine uh, masculine in a bad way, where they become very defensive and very um, easily angered, easily aggressive physically. And I don't think that leads to good self-esteem and a sense of confidence. But
0: the mothers do the same thing to the daughters. She recreate them her image as well. How is that happening?
1: Well, I think the problem with the daughters is a little different. When you don't have a dad in the home, I think that the daughters don't develop a sense of their uh, value as women. Uh, and they don't uh, develop a sense of how uh, they should be treated and loved by a man. This is the assumption that the father, of course, is a good guy. I mean, we're making that assumption. Obviously, not all dads are are, are good. And that leads them to uh, developing a sense of um, also low self-esteem, but in a different way. They they don't tend to become often uh, really aggressive or or violent. They tend to sell themselves short. So they'll often uh, engage in prostitution. They'll start to use drugs. They'll starve themselves. They'll cut themselves basically, they attack their bodies because they haven't seen uh, and experienced a man to value them for who they are rather than for what they can offer in a a quick relationship.
0: Is it true that mothers or women, period, don't have love to give? And that's why if the father's not there to bring in the love into the family, there is no love. It's only destruction, hate and destruction.
1: Well, single women, single women in general um, are not happy. Uh, I know that I'll be attacked by a lot of women for saying that um, <laughs> but uh, women don't need men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but this is actually not just my opinion. This is this is this is actually research driven. Uh, women have become more unhappy in the last twenty to thirty years than they ever have yeah. in our society, and the main difference, the main societal change in the last twenty or thirty years, is that women have been getting married later and they've been divorcing earlier and remarrying and then redivorcing. So. There's so many women who don't have husbands and the specific questions that are asked of women really reveal that the cause of this is being alone. Uh, for a certain number of years, women are delighted to take risks professionally to push their job as their number one aspiration. But in the end, women are happier when they're living with a man and they're married to that man yeah. and they're not anymore.
0: Yeah, I agree. You are, So do you help, the mothers overcome that anger that they have for not having the love of a man?
1: Well, it really depends on why the the the, the person is in my practice. Um, most of the time I'm seeing the children in the adolescence as the primary patient. So the parents are really there uh, supportively and I help them to guide their children. And obviously I'll give them advice if I can to, that would help the child. Uh, sorry about that, <laughs> that'll <laughs> stop in a second. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of marketing calls coming down now because everybody's at home and they know it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so are you able to help the children without helping the mothers? Because once they leave your office, they're going right back into the same hellhole they came from.
1: Just letting that play out, sorry. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I do try to help them, but unless the mother is actually there as a patient, it's not really my place to offer dedicated therapy to the mother. Now, the exception to that is if I'm in family therapy with the patient. So I'll see the mothers and fathers and kids or just the mothers and the kids. And I'll offer information and advice to the mother during the therapy. But it's a really tough job when you're one person and you've got multiple people, you know, and a constellation in your practice, because you have limited time and you have to really focus on the reason why the patient is there. And that's that's really the child.
0: Yeah. You say, according to you, America, Americans are suffering from delusional psychosis, psychosis, concern in the virus. Um, Tell us what you mean by that.
1: So from the very beginning of this viral epidemic in March and April, I have been suspicious and later convinced, and I still am convinced, that we've never had a medical crisis at all. We've had a few moments in specific parts of the country where there was a stress, where we weren't really sure what to do. New York is probably the best example. But even in New York, there was never a medical crisis. There was always enough resources to deal with the people who were sick. In fact, most of the resources, as you probably know, were turned away. The mercy ship was sent away. So the question then became for me, what's the real crisis? What are people really suffering from? And it became clear to me very quickly, within the first two or three weeks in March, that that was fear. Since then, I believe firmly, and it's been borne out in all of what I've read, what I've seen, what I've studied, I've traveled throughout the country. People are scared. People are absolutely terrified. And the fear that they feel has morphed and evolved not just into a, I'm worried, I'm scared, I need to stay home, but an actual belief, a belief that is against reality, which is the definition of a delusion, something that you believe that doesn't conform with reality. Absolutely believe that they are going to die, no matter what age, no matter what stage of health they're in, if they don't leave their house with a mask and gloves on every day and hide and run from human beings. That's the delusional psychosis. It's false, it's wrong, it's not backed up by the evidence. And many, many Americans are living that and believing it.
0: That's amazing. Um, so men and women are living this way? Uh, uh, is, that, is it mostly women, mostly
1: men, or even? That's, that's an interesting question. I thought about that, too. I don't have any um, any research to back this up because this is all very new. We've never experienced this before in our country. It is truly unprecedented. But from my own perspective, uh, eyes and ears and my practice and also what I see out and about in in LA and other cities I've traveled to, I would say that more often than not, it is the women who fall prey to this delusional psychosis and much more strongly than the men. Uh, I believe it's part of a hysterical reaction (laughs) and and part of it is, is not necessarily bad. I mean, women want to keep themselves and their families safe. That's an excellent, excellent instinctual drive. But they're also much much more easily made scared and hyper protective than the men are
0: and why is that
1: well I think women are more um, emotionally driven and again people will attack me for this but this is just uh, this is just true you know like it or not uh, women are driven more by their feelings than men are and excuse me their instinctual drives are to maintain order and safety in the home men's instinctual drives are to go out and gather resources and bring them back to the family and protect the family from real threats. If men were distracted by emotions 24 hours a day, they would never get anything done. They would yeah. never be able to go out and do anything productive. Whereas for women, it actually benefits them to some degree to be a slightly more emotionally protective than the men do, but not to this degree.
0: What is the solution for women to overcome this?
1: I have thought long and hard about this and I've tried a lot of different things. Um, at first, I tried being empathic and offering information, education, facts, data, evidence. Uh, I'm not swayed by passion. I'm swayed by information, by evidence. I'm a very rational person. So if somebody, even somebody I don't like who gives me an opinion or, or um, a suggestion that I disagree with, if it's based in reality and it makes sense, I'll take it. What do I have to lose? I'm, it's my, my gain, really. I have not found that strategy to be much effective with most women. There are a few that are on the fence, they're a little intimidated, they might just be going along to get along. And those women, if I give them information, they breathe a sigh of relief, and they say, thank you for giving me a reason to actually act in the way I thought was right all the time, but I was a little pressured not to by my peers. But that's about 20, 30% of the women I speak to. The rest are so, Locked into this psychosis, this delusion that information doesn't help. But be, I'll give you an example. It'd be like if you saw somebody who just got hit by a car, their leg is cracked in three places, they're bleeding, and you give them this calm information about how they should move their leg and stand up and uh, put this crutch on and walk over to the tree, they're not going to do it. They can't think. Damn. So you have to take over. You have to act as a triager, as a first responder in a way emotionally that's what women are in in this stage they're in a traumatized state they're they're actually in a kind of chronic ptsd state where helping to explain things to them is useless it doesn't do any good <laughs> amazing so
0: when you say i know that they're going to get angry at you for speaking the truth about women's situations how do you feel about people getting angry at you for speaking the truth and trying to
1: help doesn't bother me one bit oh nice it, it, It used to, um, because when I started out my work, I focused a lot on therapy, on especially analytic therapy, which has to do uh, a lot with your relationship with your patients and how they see you, how you see them. And when patients become angry uh, all the time, it's really hard to actually be effective as a therapist. What I've come to believe more recently is that there's something more important than just maintaining a placid relationship with my patients yeah Uh, and that's truth and that's the strength of our society and i think that um, if we don't manage our goals properly if we don't protect truth as the primary value rather than getting along i don't think there's really any other values that matter
0: i agree do um so the uh, journal of adolescent health says that 80% 80% of young adults have reported significant symptoms of depression. 68 reported not being able to stop or control worrying. Uh, 80% reported drinking alcohol and 30% reported harmful levels of drinking. Um, what are these people to do? What's the solution to all this?
1: Just so you're quoting statistics that have been reinforced by the CDC, by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Every week I get another report just as frightening and as disturbing as the one you read, including the one out from the CDC in the last couple of months that showed a quadrupling, that's a 400% increase in adolescent depression since the same time last year, 25% of them have thought about committing suicide 25%. Never in my career has I have I read or heard or noticed that a quarter of my patients have been thinking about death. And these are my patients. These are the ones that are already sick, not the general population. Right. General population, one quarter of all kids in the US have been thinking about dying and killing themselves this year. This is this is a a mass casualty event. I don't think we have a good solution that's going to work immediately because as you started out the show with talking about parents this begins with adults yeah the kids are not scared on their own yeah the kids are scared because we're scaring them yeah absolutely we are making them depressed and anxious because we are keeping them at home in front of a screen in front of a game away from their friends wearing a mask over their face when they leave the house telling them not to touch people to stay six feet away not only that are they seeing it when they go out of the house they are seeing people walking around with faces, shields, masks, essentially walking billboards of fear everywhere they go. And they're being yanked by their mother's arm when they wanna go and pet a dog or go say hello to the nice man who's walking his <laughs> chihuahua because God forbid that man might kill him, he might kill the other man, and then everybody's gonna die. I mean, this is the stuff of nightmares. No wonder they're depressed. Yeah. It's up to us, the adults, just to, to fix this because the children aren't gonna be able to do it for themselves.
0: The government is not going to let the people go now that they know they can control them in this way, make them wear masks, make them stay home, put them out of business, and the people just go along with it. So since we know, I know that the government is not going to let the people go free anymore, what can the people do? What should they do to overcome this?
1: Well, you just jumped to to stage three or point three of my sort of major thesis. The first point is that we're all afraid and the government has made us afraid. It's not a virus that scared us, it's the government. Right. Point two is that the fear has evolved into a delusional psychosis, meaning a fixed false belief that's contrary to reality, so it's entrenched. And that's what leads to the PTSD response I mentioned earlier, that education and comfort and calm doesn't do any good to change people's minds. And then stage three, point three, is really the most insidious, which is group and social control. The government doesn't need to control us anymore because we're doing it to ourselves. You take your little mask down below your nose as you're walking onto the plane and you have a passenger say, up, up, up with that mask. Raise that mask. You walk into an elevator without a mask on and the passengers, they look at you in fear (laughs) and they leave the elevator and make you feel terrible that you did some horrible crime, like exposing yourself in public. (laughs) You go to a counter and try to pick up a donut or a coffee, at coffee bean, and you're screamed at. There's cameras up there. My boss is going to see you without a mask, and I'm going to get fired. Don't come in without that mask. And so you do, because you don't want this guy to lose his job. Right. Poor guy just right. a kid. So this is the kind of behavior that is leading us to feel and truly be controlled by our fellow citizenry. Just like in Mao's China, just like in Stalin's Soviet Union, we're using each other as tattletales, as rats, as as methods of control. We don't need a massive police force anymore because we are the police. So what do we do about all of this? This is frightening, this is scary. Well, again, I get back to the first point. We have to advocate for truth because all of this power and control is only based on one thing, it's based on lies. Now, the people that actually get the power and the control, the benefits of it, it's not you and me. I mean, we might get a thrill if we're sick and we like to you know, nanny state each other, But where the real power and control benefits lie is with the politicians, the unions, the corporations, the the manufacturers of vaccines, the people that are in positions of power who disregard all of the rules, like going to the French laundry, like getting your hair done, like flying to Cabo (laughs) and saying, we all need to stay home while you're recording a video message from your timeshare off the coast of Baja in Mexico, (laughs) like the mayor of Austin did last week. These people don't believe this, but they're getting a lot of benefits from it. So we are the suckers. All of us are the suckers. We need to get back to what's true and what's real because that will cause this whole house of cards to crumble and there will be no source of control or power anymore once all of us accept the truth that we're actually going to be fine. We're perfectly safe. We're not any less safe than we were a year ago.
0: The uh, That little uh, Fauci guy and the governor of New York, Cuomo, whatever his name is, they just announced that even january is going to be a dark month it's going to be and so they're keeping the people in fear in order to control them they're never going to let go
1: they're not cuomo just said yesterday that we shouldn't say merry christmas we should say grinch christmas the grinch is the coronavirus <laughs> that's a perfect example of what i'm talking about because yeah. it's a lie the grinch is not the virus the grinch is him yeah the Grinch is other people in the government like him that keep lying to us and telling us that we're all gonna die if we don't stay at home and wear masks while they go out and ride their bikes and and eat and dine and travel. Have fun. Right, they're not gonna let go. Yeah. Because once you're corrupt and you have a position of power and you're gaining benefit from it, you never wanna let it go. Yeah. The only way this will go is if these people are scared by a massive uprising in our society that threatens to take away their power and dethrone them.
0: Yeah. One hundred percent, amazing. So, Doctor McDon- Mark McDonald, McDonald, how can people get in touch with you? You know, whatever information you want to give out.
1: I post regularly on my Facebook page and also on Twitter. Everything I post is truthful and honest and evidence-driven, except some of my cartoons that I repost from the Babylon Bee, which are just humorous, but there's always <laughs> truth in them. Yeah. <laughs> and my Facebook page is markmcdonaldmd.com that's markmcdonaldmd.com it is public and anybody can look at what's up there you don't have to sign up for it i also have a twitter feed which is my first letter of my first name m for mark m mcdonald md right that's m mcdonald md and i also have a parlor account And I believe it's my full name, but I can't remember off the top of my head, but if you type in Mark McDonald MD in the search field in Parlor, you'll find it. And I post uh, on all three of those platforms at least once every day or two, sometimes multiple times a day if there's something good.
0: Nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Your information is very important. And uh, I really wish you well and have a good Christmas and New Year's. And it's not going to be dark. It's going to be beautiful.
1: It's going to be wonderful yeah i'm looking forward to a lovely christmas a happy new year and a glorious 2021
0: that's right well thank you sir thanks for coming on thank you
1: jesse all
0: right amazing absolutely amazing y'all gotta get over the fear amazing and don't forget to like follow tweet subscribe and share the jesse lee Peterson radio show folks we really appreciate it we are at war and it it's a spiritual battle for the soul of america